How many are happy to be in church this morning? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. We are continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of John. How many were encouraged by the four parts that we had about father like son? Anybody encouraged? Does anybody remember what we talked about for four weeks? Some of you. <laughs> that's, that's the job of a pastor. I talk about things, you forget it. And then I talk about it again, and then you're like, oh, I learned something. Seriously, last week or two weeks ago, I was talking about something, and I was seeing some of you go like, whoa, and I'm like wanting to stop the message and be like, I've told you this many times before, but it was amazing to hear it again, amen? Okay, John chapter 6, today's title is From Little to Leftovers. Somebody say, From Little to Leftovers. Thank you. Just so everyone can know where we're going today, there will be no deep theology today. So all my theological nerds can go, oh, you know, I'm a little disappointed. Today, we're going to a simple, basic story that most of you could tell to your neighbor or to your friend right now, the feeding of the 5,000. How many have heard that story before? Most of us have. It is the only story of Jesus's miracle besides his death, burial, and resurrection that is found in all four Gospels. So this is uh, something that is very important that transcends all four Gospels. This is that miracle because John makes it a little bit difficult for the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to correspond to his book because he only puts in seven. He's very particular. And most of what John talks about is not found in the other Gospels, like the changing of the water into wine. So we have to stop before we get into this story and make sure that we don't just read past it, that we don't just think we already know this and it's not as important to us as it should be. Let us just think for a moment what this would be like if you heard this story and you had never heard it before. Most of us heard it growing up. We knew about God, so we trusted the source on which it was coming from, a parent or a church that we were going to, and so we might have missed the significance of this. What I want you to do is place yourself into the story, into the people that are there, and now imagine seeing something like this. Up until this point, Jesus has done miracles on a small scale. The changing of the water to wine was at a wedding. If you weren't there, you wouldn't have saw it. And if you didn't know that Jesus had filled or asked the waiters to fill it with water and changed it to wine, you wouldn't have seen the miracle from start to finish. You, you would have to take somebody's word. But here in the title of the story is a challenge to God's greatness and a challenge met by his power, and that is 5,000. Somebody say 5,000. As we will learn in another gospel, it's only 5,000 men, not including women and children. The census only counted the men. So this could be upwards of 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people. Somebody say, that's a big miracle. That's a big miracle now. And if you are aware and you're checked in, one of those 20,000 people checked in, you would know that Jesus didn't bring carts of food with him. How many know that would be pretty obvious? So at some point, if you start eating lots of bread and lots of fish, and you follow Jesus to that location, 
and you're just pretty, you know, just checked in. You don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed. You would know a miracle just happened. Amen? Because where did the bread come from? Where did all of that fish come from? You didn't see any fishermen out there. As a matter of fact, they are now away from the sea, out into more of the wilderness, out to where the mountainside is. So you would know if you were there, this miracle was performed for 20,000 people. This is our Jesus. So when I read this, imagine you're there, hanging out with Jesus, You've heard about the miracles. You've seen people healed. You, you understand that this can happen for them. But now something is going to happen that you can't just say maybe is magic. Maybe he's a doctor. Maybe he's, you know, pulling something out of his sleeve. Or he, you know, spoke to people in the audience. You know, wheel yourself in the wheelchair. And then when I say in the name of Jesus, pour some holy water on you, you get up as what has actually been done, sadly, in the Christian movement, in the healing movement. No, you are there. Put yourself in the story. You are there at a size of a crowd at the United Center. You're there with thousands of people in the wide open, and all of a sudden you start eating food that you know was not caught and brought or, or bread that was baked. Are you all ready for this? And let's see if we can capture what God is teaching us through the story. John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So they were watching the sick people get healed, and that's pretty amazing. Then Jesus went up onto a mountainside. Is he by the water anymore? Is he where you bake bread? No, he is not in the village. He is not in the city. He is not by the waters. He goes up onto a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. Verse 5, please. When Jesus looked up, and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? How many know that's a crazy question to ask? You're on a mountainside. There's upwards of 20,000 people, and Jesus looks to you, Will, and he says, where are we going to buy food for these people? How many know at that point you're, you're just probably confused in some way because you're like, Jesus... Common sense would tell us that's not even the right question to ask. At another point, not only are you confused, you might be in some way hangry at Jesus. Like, Jesus, you didn't think about this? I'm hungry too. Where's my Ibarito, Lord? You didn't pack something for us? I mean, I know these people may not be taken care of, but you should have at least a couple of tortillas in there for me. In your little satchel or something, Jesus. So there's, I mean, let's just, be, let's just be honest. Somewhere between confusion and more than likely some kind of anger, the disciples are now having to respond to Jesus as he's asking them probably the most ridiculous question. Hey, we're, we're at the United Center, Will. Everybody's come here to hear us, you know, to talk. 
Where are we going to get him something to eat? I mean, even in a city, even in a situation like that, to provide for that many people would be, to, would be an amazing feat. Now, look at verse 6. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I will come back to this, but Jesus has a sense of humor when he tests you. He does. Those of us who have been around the Lord have had Jesus ask us these kinds of questions, and we could almost hear his chuckle in the background. And he's not taking pleasure in our confusion and anger. What he's wanting to do is pass the test. What he's wanting us to do is pass the test and trust him. Somebody say, trust him. Amen. Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Doing the math, putting it into today's numbers, he's basically saying it's going to cost about $20,000. And let's just think about that. There's 20,000 people there with man, woman, and children. $20,000 worth of food, that's a dollar per person. That's not giving them much. So even doing the math, putting it into our numbers, that makes about sense. Whenever we provide food for people, we always have to think of a number that it's going to cost per person. Two, three, four, five dollars, what are we giving them? Are we giving them all these chips? Or are we going to give them Doritos? Okay, then that bumps up the number a little bit. Come on, somebody. Are we doing hot dogs? Or are we going to Nini's Deli's buying empanadas, you know? Empanadas, where's where's Juana? It would take about four, 40 years' wages. <laughs> but how many know those empanadas are good? They're worth it. You might be able to get them cheaper somewhere else, but they're not as good. Amen. You pay for that quality. Yeah, man, that, that's about right. $20,000, a dollar a person for food? They're only getting a bite. Jesus, this is not even possible if we had the time and the money, we got ourselves into a situation here. Looking now at verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? You see, he brings his little to God, and if you know the story, they're going to end up with leftovers. Can I hear an amen? What an encouragement of Andrew's faith for him to be able to be a problem solver. We'll spend some time on this in just a moment, but I want to highlight this to you. Don't just bring up the problem. Bring up a solution. And even if you have to start with a ridiculous solution, it's better than complaining about the problem. Well, this is what I found. Where do we go from here, Jesus? I like that kind of thinking as opposed to, the sky is falling, we're all going to die. I would rather have somebody say, well, here's the best thing I can come up with right now. We're going to get out the scissors or we're going to get out the scalpel and we're going to give the dust of this food to every person. We'll divide it among 20,000 if we have to. Everybody will just get a flake of something. Here's, here's a possible solution, Jesus. What, what can we do with this, though? Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. 
Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they what? As much as they what? Wanted. He did the same with the fish. You know you have a good host when they say, eat as much as you want. I used to go to my friend's house, and they would say, hey, you can have whatever you want. Our family is your family. Anybody have a family like that? You know, used to go over all the time. But then that family one time, they pulled me aside, and they said, hey, Joe, you are eating too much of our food. I was one of those young teenagers that had a bottomless stomach. They said, listen, man, we're going to put you on like, like a diet now. You can only have one glass of milk. You can only have a few, lo- you know, a few slices of our bread. But seriously, they pulled me aside and said that. And, and, and she was being polite, too, but I think I didn't know my place because I kept eating all of their food. Jesus wasn't like that. He didn't say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do a miracle, but there's only going to be so much. He does a miracle, and it's in abundance. So in other words, as the disciples began to distribute this food, if you were sitting there, you could say, could I have seconds, please? You could say that and not feel like you were disrespecting Jesus. Jesus made sure that the little had so much that there was leftovers. Can I hear an amen? Now look what happens in verse 12. As this miracle is happening, they then had all that they wanted. They all had enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Somebody say, nothing be wasted. Thank you. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. So the five barley loaves turned into 12 baskets of leftover af- leftovers after 20,000 people were fed. Now somebody might say, why didn't they have any fish left over? How many know that fish is going to stink? Eat all that fish. After this, miracle's gone. I'm not going to be responsible if y'all getting sick. No offense to this restaurant here, but I remember on Cicero going to get a ceviche, and at some point I said, I shouldn't be doing this right now. Something about this don't look right. I don't know where this seafood came from. I mean, I know it can come from a good place, and I, it, you know, but it didn't really settle right with, with my stomach. I don't want to get in too much detail right here, but, but be careful about uh, seafood in the Midwest. Amen? Take it from a Cajun right here. Be careful about seafood in the Midwest. That's why they asked me, Joe, what's your favorite seafood restaurant? This one over here, this one over No, Red Lobster, because I know their names on the line when they do it. And that lobster, I picked them out right there. Yeah, yeah, you got to make sure you get fresh fish. That's why there's no leftover fish, just in case you were wondering he wasn't going to be responsible for that mess afterward. So they take all of this food and the 12 baskets full, and we always like to say we're probably given as much as that boy could hold on his way home, and I'm sure others who are in need could take it with them. Now, verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, you see this, the people saw the sign. How many possible people saw this sign? 20,000, 5,000 men. Some women and children, possibly 20,000 people saw this sign. 
they began to say, now get it, put yourself in their place right now. Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And we'll know as we go through the story, he's more than a prophet. He's not giving them all the details that he already gave the Jews. In the latter part of 6, he'll start to give them more of those details as he tells them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. How many know that's coming right up after this? Because they will then only pursue him because their bellies were filled, not because they understand truly who he is. But before we get into the rebuke, let's enjoy the party. Amen? Let's get into this a little bit more. So the people said, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world, Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so we see that Jesus was not going to allow his plan to be thwarted of being our lamb, being our sacrifice by their desire to have him now establish the kingdom. He was going to show them that before he would reign as a lion, he was going to be sacrificed as a lamb. Can I hear an amen? How many know he's still the lion of the tribe of Judah though? Only if somebody would make a shirt about Jesus being a lion. Make it big and bold so that everybody could see, you know, the king is coming and you got to get ready for the lion. If only someone would do that. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we'll be putting these out pretty soon, but I'm having fun making them, as you can tell, especially if you're following me online. I'm putting my stuff on sweatpants. I'm put, I almost put it on blue jeans this morning right here. You have no idea what I will be coming up with. You don't have to like it all. Just pray for me that I can be successful. Amen. And the church will be blessed through this. Going back to the beginning, just in summary, I want to tap on some of these things before we apply it to our lives because going through the Bible verse by verse, we ought to understand the scriptures and not just get the application. We come here every week and we need to have both. We need to have the depth of the scripture and the application. And, and trust me, the application is going to be good. But I want you to appreciate what's happening here. Did you put yourself in the place of those uh, attendees? Did you put yourself in the place of those disciples? Did you get the picture? Did I help you Did, to see what that would have been like? And it's, it's all there for us to relate to and not to just go past. If the four Gospels, by God's Spirit, were led to put this one miracle in each one of them, how important it is that we understand this and that we see Jesus' love and care and concern for humanity and that whatever application we get out of today, it's based in the theology of him being the bread of life and the provider for all who come to him. Amen? But let's go to these scriptures in the other ones. I want to now give you the surround sound. Go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. Why was there this large number? John taps on it a little bit and says, you know, that the signs of the sick were being healed. But what was the motivation for that? Look at what it says. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then it goes on, as evening approached, the disciples came to him. So you see the story very similar as we just read. What I want you to see is that Jesus and his compassion actually drew the crowd. 
Beyond just the healing, they might have been there just for the healing, but it was Jesus' compassion that was bringing the healing. I want us to understand that every miracle, that every sign and wonder of God upon this earth that has ever happened or will ever happen comes from the compassion of God. He loves us so much. So often we feel that we're left alone, that God is distant. Sometimes people see him as an old man in the sky, and they forget that his heart for us is love. The Bible teaches us God is love. And I want us to see this in the story. This is your Jesus, the God of love in the flesh. Imagine the time it would take to pray for every one of these people. He wasn't like Benny Hinn waving his sash around. Everybody, be healed, you know. Not saying God can't use that, but it doesn't say he was praying like that or blowing his hot hummus breath on everybody. Wind of the Spirit, once again, not saying God can't do that through somebody, but Jesus, out of compassion... One at a time. What is your ailment? They would tell it to him. Be healed. Be healed. Next one. This is your boy, your child. Oh, they're doing X, Y, and Z, casting himself to the fire. Be healed. He's going one at a time. The great compassion of our Lord and Savior. He's not a doctor. He's not giving out diagnoses. He's not saying, well, then how does it work after you eat uh, pears or plums or whatever helps your digestion? What is my wife? Dates. Yes. After you've eaten dates, has the hurt tummy gone away? No. He's healing them out of the compassion of his heart. He hears the need and he meets it by his heart. The heart of God. Somebody say the heart of God can meet every need. I mean, did you see that in the story? Or are you just so quick to go, well, there's a miracle. Let's just move on. We understand this. I know I'm uh, tempted to do that. I mean, I've, how, how many times have I preached on this? I, I go through all the Gospels. I've preached on this. I've taught on it. And, and I even have to stop and go, hold on. Something's happening here that we never saw with any other prophet. Something that's never been done before. God is showing up. And the first attribute that he wants us to see of himself is that he's love. Now, it's not that Elijah or the other prophets didn't love the people, but there are limitations and, you know, hindered them from expressing an endless amount of love. But here you have God in the flesh without limit of power that the Holy Spirit can flow through him, knowing that it won't go to his head, and he's going to start cutting up parts of his robe, selling it for $5.99. Hello, get the prayer cloth. So the Father entrusts the Son to do all that he wants to do. Remember we learned that before, like Father, like Son. And so what do we hear? What do we see in Jesus, the Father, And what is the Father? The Father is love and wants to heal everyone. So before we ever get into a place where we have to try to defend God and say, well, why didn't he heal this one? Or why didn't this one get healed? And why is there pain in the world? What we need to settle is that God is love and he always wants to heal. That's always his heart. He's our healer. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who heals. Well, what if I pray and I didn't get healed? Keep praying. Keep praying. Ask others to pray. 
but never doubt that he is the healer. He's my healer of psoriasis. He's my healer of acne in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. He's my healer of the private conditions I can't share with you. <laughs> he is the healer of my body. And I believe him that he wants to heal me. And that if I was in the line that day and I whispered in his ear, he would say, I got you. I can heal that too. How many know he cares? I just want us to remember that. I think so often we question, does he care? Or is he the healer? Or does he really want to hear me today? Maybe he's too busy. You have Jesus limited in the flesh, having a healing line with hundreds, if not thousands of those people. And he's not complaining. He's not in a hurry. He's there with each one to show his love and compassion. I know we may not be able to do it for everyone, but can we reach out today and do it for someone? I'm going to say that again. You may not be able to pray for the healing of everyone, but can you pray for the healing of someone? You may not be able today to encourage someone, everyone, but can you encourage someone? That's my Jesus. There's nobody like him. I think too often we go through these stories and we forget he's the healer. And he is a lover of the soul because not everyone there needed a physical body to be healed. What about those who came and maybe even being ashamed had to say, I cut myself. I want to jump off that cliff. My mind torments me. Do you think Jesus would have passed them aside and said, no, I'm only healing the lepers today. I could just see Jesus placing his hand on them. Depression, go. Anxiety, go. Panic attacks, go. Thoughts of suicide, go. Jesus not only heals the outer man, the outer person, but he heals the inner person. I remember talking to a sister a couple uh, weeks ago when we were out on Ohio Park, and she says, the anguish of my soul has been so great. And I don't know if she always talks with the words anguish of the soul, but little did she know in my doctoral studies that was one of the catchphrases I would use to summarize what's going on in this generation and why we have so many mental issues. I would call it anguish of the soul. The anguish of the soul because when you think about it just being mental and disconnected from the soul, you begin to treat people like they're a computer and they have a virus, so just figure it out and fix them like they're something mechanical. But you can't pump chemicals into humans expecting it to fi uh, fix soulish problems. We are spirits with souls that live in bodies. And so when she said that, like I said, I don't know if that's a term that she used or if it was something that God divinely gave her, but it was a confirmation nonetheless that there are people's souls in anguish today. And we need to be able to pray that they might have relief from the anguish of the soul. I can see Jesus doing this. Let's go back to our notes to visit another gospel. Go to Luke chapter 9, verse 11 to get the surround sound of what's building up to this great miracle. Luke chapter 9, verse 11. We're going to hear from what Luke had to say. Maybe just start in verse 10. 
When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then they took with him. Then he took with them. Let me read this again. Then he took them. There we go. With him. How many know it's good to read in church? Amen. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethesda. But the crowd learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. Now notice this. We didn't hear this before. And spoke to them about the what? The kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Would you please highlight, spoke to them about the kingdom of God. What do we see now here that we haven't heard in John or in Matthew? That Jesus wasn't just praying for people. It wasn't just this prayer movement. It wasn't Jesus just waving a banner over them. It wasn't just harp and bowl worship and him prophetically singing everywhere or just praying. I mean, I know that's wonderful. It wasn't just a 24-hour prayer meeting. How many know he then had to teach them? So here we see that the crowd was receiving miracles, which I believe was for the body and the soul and spirit. But now they also begin to hear about the kingdom of God. Because how many know you can give a homeless person some money and they'll be homeless still the next day? As the old saying goes, you can give them a fish or you can teach them to fish. Jesus could continually heal them and be Dr. Jesus, or he could teach them how to live in the healing, how to live by faith, how to now be an agent to be healers in his name, and how to live victorious over the addictions, the afflictions, and the anguish and temptations that come against their soul. Did you catch that in the story? Jesus is not just taking times Uh, taking time to heal everybody and give them a bunch of free food. He's teaching them the things of God. I know some of you chuckled when I talked about the worship and uh, waving the banners, but we have Christians stop while we're preaching at the gospel truck and say that to us. Why don't you bring out the worship team? You know, every now and then our church goes into the parking lot and we worship out there. We wave banners around. Why don't you guys do that? It will work really good. You know why? Because Jesus never brought a worship band out to the streets to preach the gospel. Number one, that's why we don't do it. Number two, we've tried and it just doesn't do what you think it does. Worshiping in your church parking lot with all your church people and two visitors coming And them getting touched is different than you bringing out 10 people to a street of a 1,000 and them mocking and ridiculing and continually taking away your focus from what you came to do. Can I hear an amen? It's just not biblical as a command. You can do it. I do things that are not biblical. I drove a car here today. It's not biblical. How many know you can do things that are not biblical as long as they don't violate the morals of the Scripture? So number one, it's not biblical to bring out a worship band to go preach. Number one. Number two, it's not as practical as you think it is. Because even then, as I have done it, where we got around the mocking and we could actually do our song and do whatever, you'll have people worshiping who are sinners, and then they'll say, thank you for the great concert. Sinners like Christian music. Sometimes you'll even see it on YouTube. Atheists react to maverick worship. And that's cool. But then at the same time, it will say, Atheist reacts to Coldplay or something. 
and different emotions will be struck up. So we can't rely upon touching people's emotions and that somehow, because I've touched their emotions, now they're going to get saved. No, you have to teach people. And that's why I'm so disappointed in the church today. I'm just being honest with you. Even my friends as pastors, they would say, I understand this story of feeding the 5,000, Joe. That's why we're giving out 20,000 meals this summer. We're doing this and that. We're going to the inner city. I mean, I have friends that do great things like that. But then I ask them, do you teach them the kingdom of God? While our church was being indicted by the mayor as I had to be summoned to the building to receive a hand-delivered letter from the health department sent by the mayor to close down this church during the time of COVID, or she could have the lawful right to demolish this building. She would have all authority over this building like you would a crack house or an abandoned building. I had to receive that letter. At the same time, the mayor did a photo op with a church handing out groceries a few blocks from here. One of my friends, we ended up calling them going, do you know that you were the useful idiot of the mayor? While I and Pastor Christian were getting threats unto demolition, you were taking photos with the mayor, handing out groceries to cars in the drive-by line. Do you know why the mayor loved it? Because there was no speaking or teaching about the kingdom of God. And that's my friend. And I love him. And we honored them by calling them up. We didn't get a hold of the main pastor, but we spoke to the associate, and he gave us an apology. We didn't know. But brother, if you knew the Bible, you would have already known to have been preaching the kingdom of God, and she would not have come. So the fact you didn't know, we were getting the threats of demolition, we can easily look past. But the greater offense is between you and God, not us and you. You should have known when you give out the groceries, you speak the kingdom of God. And would any lesbian mayor worth her salt or worth her constituents show up to an event preaching against homosexuality, preaching against abortion, preaching that the kingdom of God comes through the morals and the commands of God, through the righteousness and peace and joy that come from the law of the Lord that brings a delight to our soul? No mayor would come to such an event, let's be honest. This is the problem that we have. Oh, I, I know the 5,000 story, Pastor. That's, that, that, that's why I feed the poor. That's why I do. Yes, but do you know the part of the story of Jesus teaching them the kingdom of God? May our charity always be the tail to the dog of the kingdom. May the charity get wagged. By the kingdom. I, I use that example not to be disrespectful, but I always tell people, there's always a dog and a tail, and I'm not the tail in Jesus' name. One man called me up during this time. If you remember, we gave out a semi-truck worth of food. He called me up again. A lot of the big churches were failing him. He has relationships with the who's who of this city. And he said, man, these guys are falling through. I can't get them to do it. I know you can mobilize. Well, you know, the first time he did it for him, he called me up. I said, yeah, we got you, man. We'll, we'll stand in the gap. But then I told him after that, I said, next time, I want you to give me time. 
I want the semi-truck to stay because what they wanted us to do was unload an entire semi-truck within an hour so that dude could go on with his empty truck. And so we would have to spend the entire time unloading. And then once that's unloaded, we would have to give it to the people. I said, I can't be in a rush like that. I said, we need to preach the kingdom of God. I got to get things set up. I'll have a team taking it off. Give me at least two to three hours. And I said, we'll be able to do it. And he said, well, the people that I'm working with, the USDA, they don't like that. And I said, tell them I don't like what they, what they like. They don't like what I like. Tell them I don't like what they like. He hadn't had anybody talk to him like that. What he thought he was going to hear was, oh, yes, oh, yes, I'll do it. Oh, oh yeah. Is that what the USDA said? Oh, yeah, I'll do it. You know what I think of? I think of uh, that idiot that was with... Uh, that sheriff in that, that TV show, Gomer Pyle. Come and do it. I said, here. Somebody say, round here. Round here, the church is the dog. That thing's the tail. Let them know I said that. He wrote me back, okay. Seriously, I used that example with him. Around here, the church is the dog. We don't, we don't wag to the USDA. I need a truck to be here for two hours. If not, I'm not giving it out. If you want to give it out, you'd go give it out. And, you know, it's not like we were hindering people from getting food. They're going to get it one way or another. But when you come around here, the kingdom of God is always first. The anointing always comes first. Let me give you another example. I had guests come down, or come up rather, to do a feeding program with us on the west side. It was our first time. Our church was probably about the size of this row, you know, this section right here. And maybe on a good day, we would have this section right here. This would be the whole church right here. And so I asked my friends to come on up from the south to help me go to the west side to give away groceries. And I had been praying in that community for quite some time. The, the story many of you have heard before, but I'll say it for those who haven't. We were looking for a location I found one on the west side on Cicero and Ohio Street, but I needed to go in and check it out. The realtor told me, he said, man, I don't even go to that neighborhood. He said, look, I'll tell you how to get the key. You can go in and check it out yourself. I didn't know the city at that time, so I, I didn't care. And, and, you know, and I've been around the hood, so it's all good. Can I hear an amen? I'm like, all right, that might sound like a perfect place to put a church. So I go get the key. I go and open up the building. While I'm on my way out, a prostitute tells me a bunch of things that she wants to do. And then I'm like, okay, God, you're up to something. Obviously, I did not go with the prostitute, amen. Just wanted to put that in the story. But then I'm like, God, you're up to something. So then I started driving around the neighborhood. I said, That's, this building's not for me. This is not what will meet our needs. But I'm going to drive around this neighborhood right now. God, what are you up to? Because you didn't bring me out here by accident. So I start driving around there. And then I see a park. Now we know it as Ohio Park, and some of you, like I said, have heard the story. And the Lord tells us to do an outreach there. Well, this is what I'm talking about now. That first outreach, I only had a handful of people. So I said to my friends from other churches, come on up, support us, help us, let's get out there and do the thing. And obviously I've done ministry before, but not in that location. But I had been praying. Somebody say the anointing is in the kingdom. Come on, the anointing is in the kingdom. So they come up, they got all the people, they literally came with the banners and the shofars. How did I know they were here? Because all of a sudden I heard on the front of our street right here, bah! 
I'm like, what is going on? They're like, man, we're blowing the shofar. We're waving the flags. I'm like, all right, guys, come on in. I mean, I'm not against it. Are you listening to me? I'm not against it because I want to keep you all as my friends if you like to blow shofars. We're still friends, right? So they come. Well, we get out there, and they got all the equipment. I'm just a little church, you know, little pastor that asked them to come help me. Well, we get out there, and I say, okay, here's the plan. We're going to set up right here. We're going to start cooking the food right here. We're going to preach right here because that's how we're going to do it. And then the line will be like this, and then we're going to minister to the kids over here. And then in a few moments, one of the sisters who thought she knew more than me that thought she had more of an experience than me, she said, you know what, I, I, I don't like the way you want to set it up. Let's put it in the open field. See, I wanted it in the park. That's where I had been praying. That's where the Lord had showed me. He had given me a vision of this place. This wasn't by accident. I went there to look for a building that a realtor wouldn't even come for and that a prostitute solicited me. This was something God was doing. Somebody say the anointing is in the kingdom. And so we got into an argument. Her husband had to step in. They were this close. Everybody say this close. Thank you. They were this close to taking all their equipment and leaving because I wouldn't change where I wanted the stuff to be. Eventually, she humbled herself. Somebody stepped in a third party. So you got me and them arguing, husband and wife now versus me. And then a third party, and I bless God for this person. I never saw this man again. He walked in. He said, Hold on here. We're his guest. The Lord has been speaking to him. If you think you have a better way, then let the Lord speak it to him. But let's submit to the man of God that's been here and do it what the anointing is for his ministry. That's what he said. He was a man of wisdom. And then they said, okay. That's, that's the only thing I'm telling you by God's grace that resolved it. It almost left. We would have had to go just get our own hot dogs and figure it all out. But Watch. Some of you know this field because I've talked about it. While we were there preaching the gospel, a car sped down the alley, spinned out into the entire open field, spinned out, and then did donuts and came out. We don't know if it was intentional to go there to begin with or if the car was out of control getting chased because how many know it's sketchy in the hood sometimes? Amen. Okay. We don't know. But all that happened that day was because what God did was protect us. And afterward, they came to me and said, that is a sign to us that we needed to listen to what you were saying. Because if we would have had our equipment in that field, and we would have had the children playing here, and the things over here, and that guy would have spun out, people would have died that day. See, the anointing's in the kingdom of God. We teach the kingdom of God. I know at times when we're out there on the streets, it kind of ruins the vibe that we're all just, you know, helping the community, but it's part of the truth. Uh, it is the truth, but it's part of our calling, I should say. Can I hear an amen? And I just want to prepare you for that because I used to have people come out even just to that west side location. You know, well, we're going to go give out turkeys for Thanksgiving. We're going to do this. And then the moment we start preaching about the kingdom of God, they get all squirmy because they thought they were just doing their good deed there on Thanksgiving. The kingdom of God is always first. Amen? Amen. Going back to the notes. Going back to the notes. Now go to Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And then we'll get to a few more points of this and some application by God's grace. We're doing good on time. You all good? Amen. Amen. 
It's, I feel like I got a lot more time when I'm not having to explain the triune relationship and the equality of the Father, Son, and Spirit. I feel like I could tell like four more stories, maybe a joke here every now and then, a little pastor joke. Throw that in. Amen. No more. It's like when the charts come up, time just goes away so fast, man. I keep looking at that clock, and I'm like, Lord, they're not getting it. The chart's not helping. What do I do? Say it louder, son. No, I'm kidding. That's what Pentecostals think. Shout it louder. That will get it. Now look at this scripture. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, we know that he's been teaching them about the kingdom and that all things are going to be related to the kingdom in some way. That's true. But notice here that the kingdom is not the only thing he talked about. Now, once again, I want to be careful when I say this. It's not that everything doesn't fit into the kingdom. In a technical sense, it does. But I could see Jesus teaching them about many things, things that they had questions about that may not have been directly related to what he was talking about. As you could see throughout the life of Jesus, they would come to him sometimes to settle differences, you know, between their families, you know, a lawsuit or something like that. Or other times, as we see at the end of the story, they try to make him to be a king. What are these subjects that he's talking about? I still believe they're kingdom focused, but I believe he was accessible to talk about other things, and if he wanted to move past it, he would have. Here's what I want to say. Christians are not supposed to just have information about spiritual things. How many know on your job you can't talk about the nine gifts of the Spirit with your customer? How many know today when you go home and you begin to prepare for the week, you're going to have to know many things? Come on, can I hear an amen about many things? You see, my wife knows about many things. I already see in my bedroom all the different little backpacks of all of my children because we're going on a trip to Florida in the next couple of days. Pray for us, amen? And she knows how to do that. I'm thankful that I have a wife that doesn't just speak in tongues and then try to figure it out at 5 a.m. before we go. Somebody say many things. Now, like I said, it applies to the kingdom. Everything will apply to the kingdom. So I don't want to stretch this too far, but I believe Jesus might have told his disciples how to brush their teeth if their breath stank all the time. Somebody say many things. How many know you can be anointed but still have that nasty coffee breath? In the name of Jesus. Come on, bro. Get a breath man up in here, man. You smell like Folgers in your cup and it went bad. Hot breath all over me. Come on. Somebody's got to teach altar workers to put a mint in their pocket. Amen. Y'all laughing because you know it's true. Many things. I believe Jesus might have told them how to wash their clothes. Hey, Peter, we ain't fishing today, man. How many know fishermen got fishing clothes? Do you want me to wear my fishing clothes here today? Man, you don't want to wear my fishing clothes. You would smell me from a mile away. Oh, pastor's coming again. Once again, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying Jesus was going around doing Martha Stewart stuff and, you know, all of these other things like that was his focus. I just like how Mark takes the time to show there was many things he could discuss with you. Jesus could discuss with you fishing if that was what was needed at that time. Jesus could discuss with you hygiene if that was what was needed. I don't see Jesus as just 
being so in the clouds of the Spirit that he's not understanding the daily routines of life. I think Jesus knew how to eat well. I don't think he was obese and overweight. And listen to me. No one's trying to fat shame you. We just want you to live a longer life and be healthy. Can I hear an amen? Because there's another trend going on that people now want to be as fat as they want say, love the skin you're in. I'm totally with you loving the skin you're in. I'm with that. But you have to understand that skin can cause you to die very early. And that will hurt a lot of people. Amen? So we're not trying to fat shame people as a church or Christians. We just want them to treat their body as the temple of the Lord. Well, Pastor, don't you want a bigger temple? I'm just making a bigger temple. <laughs> not like that. Not like that. If you're going to get bigger, get bigger like this. <laughs> muscles. That's what I do with my son. Show me your muscles. Many things. Oftentimes in the church, I got anointed people, but they can't come on time to church. Hello, somebody. You need to know many things. I was talking to a brother the other day. He said he had to let go of some of our people in church because they're anointed, can speak in tongues, but they can't follow instructions on the job site. You know what I said to those in the second service? I'm going to say it here because I don't know you, but please hear my heart. If I were you, I'd go back to that man, apologize, and say, may I volunteer and learn from you to work like how you would want someone to work. If he takes you back, that's up to him. No condo bondo. But we need to learn how to work. We need to learn how to do many things because life is not just going to be reading your Bible and having a prayer meeting. You have to understand that people will judge you on your appearance and you have to be able to learn from what is acceptable in the culture. I know that there are judgments about me because I don't wear a suit. But that doesn't give me an excuse to just show up to church however I want. I don't want to have a judgment against me that's actually based on truth. Pastor don't take care of himself. You see, he doesn't look appropriate. Now, once again, that's going to be judgments based on the culture, and not all culture is right. I'm just being honest with you. I get that. But we have to be able to relate to the culture. Now, since no one has told you, everybody get this, that you can't wear a suit, why aren't any of you wearing a suit? Like, Tony, why aren't you wearing a suit, son? Because it don't feel comfortable. Well, because y'all don't wear suits because it don't feel comfortable. How about me? Can I feel comfortable up here? Amen. So that's why I dress the way you dress, because this is how I feel comfortable. If I felt comfortable in a three-piece suit, I would wear a three-piece suit. It would, it, it would just come natural to me. Some people feel comfortable like that. How many grew up around the older generation where they always had slacks, a button-down shirt tucked in? Dress shoes. That's how my Greek father-in-law is. My Greek father-in-law comes over on a Saturday to hang out more well-dressed than I'm preaching right now. I'm serious. Button-down, slacks, shirt tucked in. Hello, Joe. Hello. And I'm like, where are you going, man? What's going on? I'm just hanging out with the kids. Man, you dressed up. Got some shiny shoes on. Got your belt buckle showing, pants tucked in. I can't even remember last time I tucked in my pants. I, mean, I tucked in my shirt in my pants. Most dudes, do you tuck in your shirts? It's just not comfortable, is it? So you got to learn many things. Just a few more things. Tell me where Jesus taught moms how to be moms. Tell me where he taught dads to be dads. You can't go through the line by line, can you? You can't go to the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, and show me what it's like to be a mom. I think those are the kinds of things Jesus was talking about. Jesus, I'm a mom. And sometimes I feel like slapping my kids. Should I always slap them, spank them, 
or give them a time out in the field. But Jesus, I want them to get lost in the field or eaten by a lion. Then I'll feel really guilty. So what do I do? I think Jesus is answering those questions. You know what other people might say? The many things are about aliens. Jesus was teaching them he was an alien. So be careful of what you try to sneak into many things. But how many people believe during these times, if a mother had questions to Jesus, he would help a mother? If a father had a question, if there were marriage issues, he would work with it. If it was financial issues, I can see Jesus getting tired of some of those things when he got involved with some of their lawsuits. He says, who made me a judge to do this for you? You go settle it. I could see he could rebuke them if they didn't know that the kingdom came first. But when you're learning the kingdom, my friends, please, everybody get this. You have to know that many things apply to the kingdom. Your hygiene applies to the kingdom. The way you keep your house applies to the kingdom. If, if, I, if I throw on you real quick when we're meeting, let's ride in your car, and you have to lie to not let me see your car, or you let me get in your car, and then you're like, Pastor, I, I promise you, I don't make this phone look like this. And then if it's the husband, because, you know, he's married, he's a, as a man's married, oh, this is my wife, you know, this is all her stuff right here. Throw the wife under the bus. Or, you know, you have to tell somebody, you can't come in my house, not right now. You're like, hey, what's up, neighbor? You're like, shut the door behind you. What's going on? You know, if you can't let somebody come in for the prayer meeting after church right now, you got a problem with your house. Clean up your house in Jesus' name. Amen? Going back to the notes. This is what I think is going on and why there's many people following Jesus. Going now a few more verses down, we see that Jesus tests these disciples. Have you ever felt that Jesus tested you and that he had a sense of humor about it, as I was mentioning before? Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Um, how are we going to disciple 8 million people in this city? <laughs> it's like the Lord talked to me. And you know what I said? Literally. God, maybe 100,000. How about that? And I felt the Lord say, okay, we'll start with that. How many know that's just the introduction? But the Lord's got a sense of humor. Talking to a pastor in a home Bible study. You want to disciple a city, Joe? Oh, come on. Uh, Jesus, did you forget who you were talking to? Aren't you supposed to ask that church down the road? You know, aren't you supposed to talk to this man? Why are you asking me, Jesus, how we're going to disciple an entire city? I haven't even written a book yet. And I could just hear Jesus laughing. Sounds like a good idea. Why don't you try it? Seriously, what do you think I got the idea to write discipleship books? I think that's part of God's plan, but I think it came through the sense of humor of the Lord. I want you to disciple a city. Jesus, I don't have anything to disciple them with. Well, start right there. Write a book. No one's going to read the book. Your wife will read it. <laughs> Seriously. Doesn't God speak to us like that? I mean, when has God ever told you to use exactly what you have in the exact way you feel comfortable with, and then that's what you're supposed to pray about? If what God is giving you to do doesn't make you cry, weep, fall on your knees, feel afraid, <laughs> uh, make you wonder if he's got the right person, you're not hearing from God. Now, God works within budgets, and all of those things are appropriate, but when God gives us vision for our life, when God speaks to us, he's going to give us a lot at once, and he wants to see, will we trust him? Son, how are you going to father 12 kids? And I'm like, I don't know, Jesus. I'm not even married. How will I do it, Jesus? Well, why don't you be a husband before you get a wife? Come on, somebody. How many know men have to grow up and become what they want to be before they ask a woman to believe in that? 
Men, you need to be what they're looking for before they even know you so that when you find them, they'll know that that's the right one. God told me to start acting as if I had a house full of children and a wife looking up to me for guidance before I had any of that. Isn't that just like God in the Old Testament? Hey, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. You're going to conquer the enemy. The guy was hiding from the enemy trying to keep his beans to himself. He then reminds God, God, don't you know that I'm the least of the least of the least? And God says, I know that, but do you want to do something great? Jesus loves to test us. But here is the sad part that turns from his sense of humor is that many of us fail the test. We become doubtful of God. We walk away from what we think was just a crazy idea, not understanding that God wanted to do something miraculous in our lives. I wonder how many people are even sitting here today that God gave a miraculous plan and idea to, and you pushed it away saying, that's too risky. That's too much. When we started the Bible College, Legacy Ministry Bible College, at that time, we uh, were receiving, right before that, we were receiving a portion of every student's paid tuition. So the church would bring in anywhere between thirty dollars to $40,000 based on the 20 students that were going to the school that we were working with. How many think thirty dollars to $40,000 is kind of a lot of money? God says, hey, you want to hear an idea? I'm like in prayer. You want to hear an idea, Joe? I got an idea for you. You're going to leave that school, start one, get this, for free. So what you're going to do is give back the 40000 and then now spend your own 40000 to get this established. Plan? Ready? Let's go. I'm doing the humor that Jesus has with me. Maybe Jesus doesn't talk to you like this. You're a little more sophisticated. First of all, let's just get the language right. How does Jesus show up to most of you? Que paso? Que paso? What's going on? Let's talk a little bit. Como esta usted? You know, that's Jesus for most of you. You know, he's coming in the Espanol. He's hanging out, you know, because he relates to us. He speaks. This is what I teach in Bible college. He speaks the language of our soul. So it's not you. But it may sound in ways you understand because your soul has a language. Your soul has a way of communicating. And God speaks to you. Here's an idea, Joe. Give back all of that money. You're not going to need it. I won't. No, you're not going to need it. And then now step out in faith and start this one for free. Sounds like God to me. You see, I could have said that day, Satanás, en el nombre de Jesucristo, I rebuke you now. Get out of here. I am not giving back that money. That's for the Lord. We do so many good things with that. And I'm not starting one from scratch. Who are we as a church? To see? You know, I could have said I was all the devil. But I had to pray, consult with leaders, talk to others and say, could this be the voice of God? Could God be asking us to do something so great that it causes us to trust him? Has God asked you to do something so great that there's only one way to accomplish it, and that is to trust him? See, that's the story of the 5,000. It's God asking his disciples to do something greater than they have ever seen. 
because he wants them to trust him. Going a few verses down, as I mentioned before, we see that there is a problem. Andrew does his best to bring about a solution. Of course, it's not going to meet the need, but he shows that he's willing to work and to go out to find the resources. When I accepted the word of the Lord to start the Bible college, did I just, did I just sit down in my office and go, okay, Lord, bring in the students. Okay, Lord, she's laughing, Lauren, our administrator, because that's not what we did. Lord, okay, bring in the professors. Bring them in. Just have them see a fire over the website. As they say, just, just appear a fire on the website, because that's how people think people are going to come to the church, a fire over the building. It's happened before. But did God say that that was what I was supposed to do? No. I got on the computer started making a website, started promoting the website on Facebook, started putting out ads for professors, looking for professors. People would write us, you have to work for free. Oh, forget that. So then I started putting in the ads, professors who work for free, do you want to go hard for Jesus? You know. So I turned it to our advantage. In other words, what am I doing? I'm showing up to Jesus with two fishes and five loaves going, well, this is, what, this, this is what I have. I mean, okay, you want us to start a Bible college? Here we go. But Lord, you know, and it's an honest question. Notice he doesn't mock him. It's an honest question. But Lord, but how does this turn into a Bible college? God, how, how does the few of us and the website that I made, how does this become that? And God is saying to us, now sit down. Somebody say, sit down and let me take over. Because now, what is he going to do? He gives thanks. He blesses that which was given to him. And he begins to provide. Just to give you some encouragement about the website, it's been, it's been drawing in people. And those ads, the, the ones that I say that kind of sound desperate, but, but actually sounded radical, like, come work for us for free and you'll be awesome, brought us the scientists that we needed. Because when we gathered all of our resources together, we didn't have a scientist with us. Now we have a scientist that goes to a great Pentecostal church in the South that's going to be teaching this next quarter. Praise God. What is God asking you to do? And are you willing to receive it and start grabbing the resources that you have and give it to them and say, here you go, God, would you please bless this? It's not the other way around. It's not you trying to say, hey, hey God, you want me married? Here's the one I found in the club. Uh, bless it. No, it's not that way. It's God saying, I want you to do something great. And then you're looking around going, okay, greatness is here somewhere. Greatness is here. Great. Okay, where's the greatness? Okay, this is the little bit that I found. Is, is this enough, God? You're waiting for the Lord to tell you the big thing. And then when he gives it to you, you pull all the things you have for him to bless him. Amen? And then lastly, the disciples got to participate in the miracle. What an honor it must have been that day to be the ones distributing what God had blessed. See, disciples have a special place with God. Everyone got to eat that day, including the disciples, but only the disciples got to disperse the food and be the waiters. God is asking us to co-labor with him, to see what's going on behind the scenes, to be a part of the ministry, and to see the callings that he has in our lives. And if you're willing to do that, you'll see the multitudes changed 
and you'll see them blessed and empowered in Jesus' name. Because now I'm part of that business. I'm part of the Father's bakery. How many want to be a part of the Father's bakery? Amen. You're part of Jesus' Father and Son bakery with the Holy Ghost fuego put on top, that calzone or whatever you put on the tortillas or bread. You don't put calzone on there. Maybe a little Goya. Does even Goya go in the tortilla? What spice besides yeast and flour or what, does anything go into our food? I know Italians, they put a little, they put oregano in the bread every now and then. What's that? Cilantro. Every now and then just a little bit. The Holy Ghost is blessing the bread. Father and Son Bakery. Amen. I look at you now and you're an answer to that prayer. If I would have said to Jesus, I didn't want to start this church, I would not be ministering the bread of the word to you today. You have to hear what God is asking you to do. Businesses are starting in this church. Let the Lord use you to distribute the income to these families, to be a blessing to this community. The Lord is calling you to be husbands and wives and, and, and fathers and mothers and, and to bless these children and to distribute this food to the others. Don't get weary and well-doing, for in due season, if you do not faint, you shall reap a harvest. Amen. Can we give it up for Jesus? Come on, from little to leftovers, let's stand up. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Father, would you speak to us now in the mighty name of Jesus? Everyone here, if you don't know Christ already, can I pray for you to be your Lord and Savior? All you have to do is confess your sins, confess him as Lord, mean it from your heart, and he will change your life. Father, I pray for anyone here who is not born again, that they'll get born again today, transformed from the inside out. As they're praying right now, if there's anybody here that is like me that wants to believe God for big things, would you raise up your hands today and say, Lord, use me.